Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Crime and Coffee Couple. My name's Allison. And my name is Mike. That's beautiful, Mike. Yeah, just so you folks know, I, I've got quite a singing voice over here. It's actually not terrible. No, you have a good voice, I'd yeah, say. Yeah, and the, like you noticed in the Roxanne uh, singing and uh, some other names, if you'd like me to sing your name, just let me know. I'll yeah, do my best. just shoot us a message. Yeah, just we'll, we'll take requests all Absolutely. Day. And uh, I'm, I'm not too proud, that's for sure. So how you doing today, Beb? Oh, I'm doing okay. I have a lot going on. Like what? Uh, this has been a week. We're again pre-recording. We're getting ready to leave for a trip. Um, we had my birthday this week, our anniversary. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. I only treat it like one day, and then as soon as it's here, you know, we celebrate, and then it's gone, just like that. My coworkers were like, "Do you kind of like get the month?" I was like, "No, I get twenty four hours. No, yeah. really, only twelve, fifteen, the the hours that we're awake, and then it's it's done." Yeah, chivalry is gone. Politeness has no, left. No, no, no. Chivalry and politeness is always here. You just take it for granted. That's all. <laughs> That's uh, you're you're being treated like a queen absolutely every day, and that can get old really quick. It never gets old for me. No, no. And we celebrated 21 years of marital, marital bliss. bliss. I told you if I ever say that, punch me in the throat. Yeah, after the show, I don't want you to be able to deliver the story. I may have said it on a bonus episode for those of you who are not yet patrons. That's where we said it, and I deserve to be kicked in the teeth. No, no, not at all. It's nice. So, yeah, yeah, how was your birthday and everything? It was lovely, wonderful. This week has been a little heavy on my heart, and in a good way, a positive way. My heartstrings have been tugged at because both of our children finished their career in elementary school and then the other in middle school, so they're moving on to sixth and ninth grade. And we've been with my our daughter's elementary school since our son was in first grade. And so it's been eight years. And that's no it's no longer it, it ended. And I was saying I just keep saying the phrase over and over in my head, just keep moving forward. That's the Disney, Walt Disney quote. And it's because you know, it's just part of life that our kids are going to grow, but it's not always easy. It's bittersweet yeah yeah it's uh, it was a little sad walking her to school on her last day mm-hmm. our daughter and our son takes the bus so you know he's gone already that's fine but he's starting high school now and there's all this stuff coming up man I, you folks that have kids in high school <laughs> he's gonna be doing like football camp and band camp and all this baseball. other baseball baseball like lessons so it's crazy and he's not even on a travel team so i can't yeah. imagine how people do that it's a lot yeah and, you know, just getting ready for a trip. By the time you guys hear this, we'll pretty much be back. Our, but my parents are staying at our house and just getting the house ready. And I like things a certain way when I go on a trip. Like You I like, like things a certain way. You could just stop right there. I, <laughs> I just, do. I like things a certain way. <laughs> yeah. And that's a, you're not going to stop until it's like that. Yeah. For instance, this morning, um, you might be like a little more angry than usual. Like uh, this morning, I said something and you were like, you didn't even respond. And no, I was like, oh. No, because there's no certainty oh. that I'm going to sit by our daughter on the plane. And then you go... Then you go i don't know you were just mumbling something i'm like okay well clearly i was saying something i was trying to communicate some kind of information and you said nothing towards it well i was doing the bedding i just heard some murmurings from the bathroom and i said i didn't hear you you were mumbling what a lot of humans would do in that scenario is uh, i'm sorry i didn't hear you you were mumbling can you repeat what you said and then you just chose to stay quiet i was overwhelmed you were yeah and uh, what was the situation uh well there's no certainty that we can sit by i can sit by our daughter on the plane and it's a five-hour plane ride granted she's 11 she already told me she's like mom i'll be fine but she's got her like ipad loaded 
And I know she'll be fine. It's just I'd like to at least be able to see her. Sure. And by the time we went to get tickets, all the seats were taken. So um, we'll see. But whatever. People switch seats. Whatevs. So other than that, it's been a whole hell of a lot happening. But here we are. And we're happy to be here. And we're happy that you're here with us. Absolutely. And are we ready to get started? Real quick, if you're listening and you like what you hear, please leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening to. We would appreciate it. And uh, make sure to subscribe. Hit that little plus button or whatever so that you can be notified whenever uh we come out with a new uh, episode which Hopefully is every sunday around you, 9 a.m eastern you like us enough to subscribe yeah anytime i generally like a podcast i do subscribe because then I, it holds your place in the episode it marks that you've listened to it Ooh, makes it much easier it does so it, much easier. it really does i listen on apple podcasts so. so so go ahead take a second go ahead just plus right there, there and we go. just wanted to say again that we appreciate each and every one of you for being here so thank you and I think we're ready to jump right in here. I know I'm ready. I'm ready. I got the hard job of sitting here and listening to your beautiful voice. <laughs> yeah. So this is a disappearance of Natalie Holloway. Oh, I've heard of Natalie Holloway. So this is a very well-known case. Very, very well-known. And this was a listener suggestion from Gabby. And she did write and say that because this is a well-known case, she wasn't sure if we would cover it because we do tend to shy away from... I'm the true crime um, podcast listener. And if I've heard it time and time again on podcasts i don't want to touch it but i'm thinking back to all the platform or all the different podcasts i listen to and i really haven't heard this one covered and of course i know of the disappearance of natalie holloway i didn't know the fine details of it so i said you know what we're gonna do it and you know that it's a big story if i've heard of it because i don't listen to anything yeah i don't don't even watch the news yeah so i was thinking back because this all went down in 2005 we had just moved to florida from chicago so i i guess i was at that time in my life where i just was kind of hectic and not listening to the news as well as i could have been well let's get into it so here we go So in May of 2005, Natalie Holloway was a straight-A student at Alabama's Mountain Brook High School. She was excited to be going on her senior trip to Aruba. Natalie had her sights set on becoming a doctor, and in the fall, she planned to attend the University of Alabama on a full scholarship. Wow, that's pretty awesome. Is amazing. Absolutely. Anybody in Alabama like loves University of Alabama. Okay. And that's it's probably a tough school to get into. I would imagine, but she was very smart. So Natalie was born on October 21st, 1986 in Memphis, Tennessee, and not long after, her brother Matt was born. In 1993, when she was six years old, her parents divorced. Her mom remarried George, who was known as Jug Twitty. So moving forward, we will be calling him Jug. So Jug Twitty, they got married in 2000. They moved to Alabama at that point. At the time, Natalie was starting junior high. She easily made new friends. She was very charismatic, bubbly, um, outgoing. So she's got everything going for her, basically. Very well-rounded girl. So again, she was friendly and outgoing and easily attracted friends. Natalie was a member of student government and a counselor at a peer group called the Natural Helpers. Her mom said that when her daughter set a goal, she accomplished it. Wow. So initially, Natalie's dad, Dave Holloway, was not on board with her going on the trip, telling her flat out, if I have anything to do with it, you're not going. But of course, Natalie was a persistent persistent teenager, and she didn't give up, and eventually her dad got on board. Both Dave and Beth agreed that their daughter was exceptionally responsible and hardworking, and she deserved to have fun with her friends before they went their separate ways. And it's good for your kids to experience things away from you and, you know, learning on their own, too. Mm -hmm. So I know, obviously, this is probably not going to end very well. But it's not. Unfortunately, sometimes you got to let your kids out. 
it's true. And I, you know, we are parents and I can totally relate to this. You want, it's like a fine line. You want your kids to experience life and have fun. You also want them to be safe. You're in Alabama. You're sending your daughter to a country. You don't know. It's, it's scary. So, you know, they said yes. And she was going. So Beth Twitty, Natalie's mom felt comfortable since Mountain Brook students had gone to Aruba the two previous years. Her own stepson had gone in 2003. Beth felt good about the trip, but worried about a night spot in the area called Carlos and Charlie's. Oh, I've been to Carlos and Charlie's in Cancun. Okay, I have not. Um, so in 2003, when her stepson went on the trip, he went to Carlos and Charlie's. Everybody who goes to Aruba that's young goes to Carlos and Charlie's. Yeah, it was huge back then. Yeah, it's, it's since closed. But apparently when her stepson was there, there were locals who tried to coax some young females into leaving with them. The situation just didn't sit well with anybody. Ah. So it it made her mom feel uneasy. So on Thursday, May 26, 2005, we've just passed the anniversary on the, at the time that we're recording. It's May 27th. So it's, it's since been the anniversary. Beth dropped Natalie off at a friend's house at 4 a.m. She was going to carpool to the airport with her friend. Beth promised her daughter that she would pick her up at the airport the following Monday night, which was May 30th. As Natalie entered the house and the door closed behind her, Beth could have never imagined that it would have been the last time that she would ever see her daughter. The group, which consisted of 124 students and seven adult chaperones, arrived in Aruba and checked into the Holiday Inn near the northern end of the island. The typical agenda while they were there was basically to stay out on the beach all day long, come in, take a nap, and then shower to get ready to go to dinner and then whatever night spots. I will tell you, and I may mention it again in here, that the drinking age in Aruba is 18. Most of these students were 18 years old and could legally drink. And when you're going to places like Carlos and Charlie's, it's basically they're trying to get you as drunk as possible. Mm-hmm. Like you got people on the tables shooting like shots into your mouth and just they want everybody to get absolutely hammered. Yeah. So they would get ready for the evening, go to dinner, and then hit one of the local bars after. On the last night of the trip, which was May 29th, Natalie and some of her friends headed down to the Excelsior Casino, which was inside their hotel, the Holiday Inn. They began talking with a 17-year-old named Joran Vandersloot, which was born, he was born in the Netherlands in 1987. So he's 17. He's telling the group that he's 19. So when he was... um three years old his family moved to Aruba so he basically was raised on this island so he knew it very well so again Joran told the group that he was 19 probably just to seem cool and fit in because they're 18 he wants to be older you can say whatever you want you're never going to see these people again (laughs) exactly you can be whoever you want to be so Natalie's friend Lorraine Watson remembers being introduced to him and she described him as an average high, high school looking guy she noticed how tall he was he's about six foot four Lorraine saw him near the blackjack table. She didn't recall if he was talking with Natalie at that point. I will tell you the surveillance video that I saw. Natalie was sitting in a chair and Yorin was probably two to three people away. So they were not interacting in the video that I saw. So Yorin claims that he didn't really take notice of Natalie during this time. He was mainly talking with a girl named Kathleen who he was sitting closer to. So the group told Yorin they'd be going to Carlos and Charlie's later, and they invited him to join them. The bar closes at 1 a.m. The last song that was played that night was in honor of the group because they were a large group. They probably took over the bar that night. 124 of them. That's quite a bit. Yeah. So they played Sweet Home Alabama, 
and everyone's dancing and having a great time. And as they all had it out as the bar's closing, it was very chaotic. Everyone's, it's like a max mass exodus. Everyone's trying to track down cabs or shuttles to get back to their hotel. So some of the school's group later said that they did see Natalie leaving the bar with Yorin and two of his friends in a Honda Civic, a silver Honda Civic. So the next morning, it's Monday, May 30th, 2005, it was time for the group to head to the airport for their flights home. Claire Fairman had been friends with Natalie since junior high. That was the time that Natalie actually moved to Alabama. They were basically like best friends. And she remembers getting ready to board her flight. Her friend grabbed her and told her that no one had seen Natalie at the airport. They speculated that she had overslept. At the time, they weren't worried. They only feared that Natalie's mom would be upset with her daughter for missing her flight. So it wasn't like, oh my gosh, what happened to Natalie? It was like, oh shoot, her mom's going to be mad. Interesting. So I will tell you that in one article that I read, they mentioned that the Holiday Inn was not very pleased with this group. They were very loud. There was a lot of drinking. There was a lot of room switching. So I'm guessing that that is the reason why nobody knew that Natalie wasn't there because they were often hopping rooms and sure. sleeping in different places. Well, they all knew each other and, you know, having a few drinks in one room, going to another and passing out in one room, right. whatever. Because as, you know, now a 44-year-old woman, since I just celebrated my birthday. Um, Let's be I honest, was, you've always been 44. <laughs> I, I truly have. But I was thinking in my head, if you woke up in your room and, and Natalie wasn't there, how would you not have gotten notified before you went to the airport. But again, it's likely they just assumed she was in another room. So meanwhile, Beth spent the weekend. She was at the beach in Hot Springs, Arkansas. She was relaxing with two other moms that had kids on the trip. And that Monday, the 30th, they all headed back home. They were getting ready to get back in gear to reality. The responsibles that came with raising a teenager a little after 11 a.m., Beth, excuse me, Beth got a phone call from Jody Bierman, who was one of the seven adult chaperones that had gone on the trip. I was just thinking how sucky it would be to be one of the chaperones responsible for oh, this group man. and know that one of them is not coming home. But, you know, I'm sorry, seven chaperones for, what did I say, 124 kids? Yeah. The ratio is not there. These kids are 18-year-olds. So the expectation was that they were not going to be babysats. Right, of course. So, and, but at the same time, you you know, you don't want any of them to be in danger at all. Of course I'm not. sure every single chaperone feels a little bad, you know, probably terrible. You know, they wish mm-hmm. they, they could have been there for her. But in the meantime, they're trying to wrangle 124 kids. It's just not possible. So Jody explained that Natalie had not met the group in the lobby of the holiday in to head to the airport and no one had seen her since the night before when they were all leaving Carlos and Charlie's. So Beth immediately, it wasn't like a, oh, she probably overslept type of situation. She immediately feared the worst, knowing that something terrible must have happened to her daughter. She right off the bat believed that she had either been murdered or that she had been kidnapped. It was basically two choices. Yeah, because she knew about what happened when her son was there prior Mm -hmm. and knew that there are people trying to lure people out. And Natalie seemed like the perfect kind of girl to lure out. And I will tell you, she was a beautiful girl. You know, not that I'm, that looks matter to me, but she it's a concern because she was a blonde gorgeous she's a target yeah target so i'll tell you that beth was driving back to alabama from arkansas when she got the call at this point in time she's basically driving 110 miles per hour down the interstate just trying to get home as quickly as she could so she was eventually pulled over and the state trooper got her in touch with the fbi after she learned after the state trooper learned why she was speeding the way that she was that was nice 
So instead of panicking, Beth said she became extremely focused. She immediately called 911 and told the dispatcher that her daughter had been kidnapped in Aruba. She called her husband, Natalie's stepfather, Jug, and by the time she reached Birmingham, a family friend had arranged for a private jet to take her and a group to Aruba. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, amazing. So by 5 p.m., Beth and Jug... Jug was a general manager of a Birmingham Metals industry facility, and then two of his longtime friends, they were on the private jet, and they landed at Aruba's airport at around 10 p.m. So Beth felt that Natalie was a typical teenager. According to her, you know, this, it was her belief that her daughter wasn't a big drinker. She really never had a boyfriend. She was emphatic that she had never had sex. She indicated that Aruba would have been an environment that her daughter had little experience with. And despite Natalie's intelligence and book smart, she could be considered naive, perhaps lacking street smarts, you could say. So, well, especially in a different country. Like, how, yeah. much, how much street smarts do you have somewhere where, you know, people are not not in your country. And, and you know, totally oftentimes you're just living in your bubble on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Whereas you're going to a different co- country, there's different laws, there's different people. It's it's just different. So Natalie's friend Lorraine remembers feeling horrified as her plane was taking off to home, knowing that Natalie was not on board where she should have been. I can't imagine that would have been a very scary feeling. Like you're literally taking off into the air thinking, my friend is not here. Yeah, you're like looking down like she's there somewhere. She's there somewhere, somewhere. So meanwhile, Dave Holloway got the horrific news himself of his daughter's disappearance. He also headed towards Aruba. As the whole group arrived, they made their way to the island's northwest corner where the many resorts are sprawled along the beach. Aruba's main business, excuse me, Aruba's main business is tourism. At least 72% of visitors are from America. These could be old stats. It's probably more than that. It's very developed with a lot of familiar places such as McDonald's, Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, and Hooters, typical establishments that us Americans are used to seeing. Basically America in God the forbid we go to another country and try different food. I want an olive garden. I want a Hooters salad Hooters or chilies. Give me my chilies, two for one beers. <laughs> yeah, you got Miller Lite? I'm going to go ahead and take two Miller Lights and a chili and give me a bowl of chili. Yeah. So the family started their search at the Holiday Inn. Obviously, that's where Natalie was staying. They met with a teacher and a senior trip escort named Paul Lilly, who waited with the only American official that he could find. This was a Drug Enforcement Administration agent. They had absolutely no news of Natalie's whereabouts, and evidence indicated that she had not returned to the hotel the night that she went missing. In the room that she was predominantly assigned to, her luggage and passport sat waiting in a room untouched where she had packed it and left it the night before when they had gone out. Mm. Beth took a hotel employee aside, and she, of course, is getting information about what happened the night that Natalie went missing. So they're describing Yorin to this hotel employee, and the employee knew exactly who Beth was talking about and well, said, makes sense. He's six, four blonde mm-hmm. white guy, you know, not a lot of those types in Aruba probably. So he's, she said that he tends to prey on young females. They knew him. They knew him. Ah, interesting. Yes, very much so. Like his, his, you know, characteristics and what he likes. Yeah. And he frequented these types of hotels. Oh, right. Cause yeah, he's been there before. Yeah. These are casinos. He liked to gamble. He was often there. 
So from there, they headed to Carlos and Charlie's and began asking questions. After showing the staff a picture of Natalie, no one recognized her, which is not surprising to me because the place was swarming with kids her same age. Yeah. So the family was joined by a man named Charles Crows, who was a wealthy Aruban who owned a cell phone rental company. He told the family that Natalie had made a phone call to an American number the night that she'd gone missing. It just turned out to be an ex- accidental call. The group split up. One group headed to the beach. They showed anyone they passed Natalie's photo. You know, have you seen this girl type of situation? Beth and Jug, meanwhile, went to the casino. They met up with the manager who offered to show them surveillance video. Beth memorized the image of Yorin in the footage. Short hair, a pimply face. You know, none of the pictures that I saw, did he have a pimply face? He was actually a really good-looking kid. So Crows drove north to the lighthouse where many teenagers tend to gather. They knew Yorin when they when they came across other people that were there and the they offered to take them to Yorin's house. Oh good. Because you know, it's not a big island. People know each other. Yeah. So when Yorin and his friend, 21-year-old Deepak Kalpo, came back to the house, Yorin initially, of course, they're meeting up, the group is there. They're meeting up and they're having questions asked to them and Yorna is initially denying any knowledge of Natalie and insisting he did not know who she was until they told him that an eyewitness saw you guys getting in the car together you, you can't deny this there's uh-huh. no getting out of this good so the family was told by the Aruban police that Natalie could not be considered to be a missing person until she was gone for 48 hours so at this point they might be at the spot where they're talking to Yorin, kind of mediating they are not involved at this point because according to the them this happens a lot people go out they start drinking start using drugs as they come off the drugs they and they're partying and decide they're going to go home right and the resources are used for something where they've never been lost yeah so when yorin finally started talking he said that he had met natalie at the holiday inn's casino sunday afternoon and in the early evening the group had asked him to join them like i'd said at carlos and charlie's he declined he said no that place is dead on a sunday i'm not gonna go so a little bit before 11 p.m., he headed home with his father, who had picked him up at the local McDonald's. Yorin said that once he got home, he had second thoughts. He called his friend Deepak, who drove over with his younger brother, 18-year-old Satish, to get him. Yorin said they snuck out of the house that night because his dad, you know, didn't want him to go. And um, they went over to Carlos and Charlie's. And according to him, when he walked in, Natalie quickly saw him and she came on to me huge is what he's saying. Dancing suggestively like a slut. Whoa, he said that? Friggin' a-hole. And Beth, Natalie's mom, is at the house where he's saying some very raunchy things that's uh that's interesting because D- very disrespectful truly well i mean you know it's saying you know he's allowed to say whatever he wants i guess but also you got to wonder why he's being so dismissive of her and like calling her such things mm-hmm. so you're automatically thinking is he trying to make her out to be somebody you're automatically a target mm-hmm. for me if i'm the parent you know so a lot of the things he's saying beth twitty is saying this does not sound like my daughter now yeah. come on now we all know that we might put up a front of what we think want our parents to perceive us to be she's with her peers and her classmates and they're all drinking and you know so she might come across to her mom as like 
you know, a goody two shoes, a goody two shoes, yeah. And you have a few shots of tequila, and all of a sudden, you know, Mm -hmm. everything goes crazy. So he's saying that he did a belly shot off of Natalie at the bar. He said that Natalie eventually asked him to take her home, so they left. They got into Deepak's silver Honda. Deepak and his brother Satish were sitting in the front. Natalie and Yoren were in the back. According to Yoren, Natalie was very drunk and claimed that he and Natalie engaged in sexual activity in the car in the back seat. He said they took her to the front door of the Holiday Inn around 2 a.m. And when she got out of the car, she stumbled and hit her head. Yoren said that two security guards were there. They saw this happen. They helped her up. And those were the two men that he last saw with Natalie. So he's basically passing the baton to these two security guards that witnessed this fall. And that's the last time I saw her. Okay. So that's what Yoren is saying. Let's talk to these security Mm -hmm. guards. So on Thursday, which was four days after Natalie went missing, the family was finally able to view the security footage from the Holiday Inn lobby. Perfect. Natalie was never seen returning to the hotel on the night she went missing. Beth sat and watched the footage from, you know, midnight, 1 a.m., whatever, until the sun rose. Natalie never walked through that lobby. So your story is bullshit. Bullshit. So again, it's clear that your story is not true well first he wasn't even in the car with her then he right. got told we people saw you yes yeah, so and it's like okay now i dropped her off nope that didn't happen either mm-hmm. what's your next story asshole and you know what we always say when somebody is lying something's going on absolutely because if, if you had no involvement with anything to do with her disappearance you would tell them exactly what happened because there'd be no reason for you not to so Charles Crows, who was there helping them, spoke with Yorin. He asked him, are you telling me the truth? He Yorin is then saying that they hadn't gone directly to the Holiday Inn. So now the story's changing. He said that Natalie wanted to drive around. He said the girl was crazy. She was just crazy. And again, the mom's thinking, like, that's not my daughter. That's not her. Yeah. She told him that she wanted to have sex and claimed that she performed oral sex on him in the backseat of the car. From there, they went to the lighthouse. They did not get out of the car because Deepak was worried that Natalie was going to vomit in his car. Lighthouse security indicated that no car drove up that night. Again, indicating this story is also a lie. Yorn, you got to start uh, picking spots where there's no cameras, you stupid dumbass. So in a later interview with Fox's show on the record, this was this happened March 1st, 2006. So we're edging on about a year at close to a year at this point that Natalie is gone. That's so it's such a long time. <sighs> yeah. Yorn speaks on the um, show with lawyer and news anchor Greta Van Sturson. Uh, Sturson or Sturin? Sustren. Sustren. Thank you. Jeez, yep. easy for me to say. Sustren. About what happened on the night that Natalie went missing. So now we're looking at what, 10, 10 11 months or so that she's gone. So maybe he's come up with another story at this point. No doubt. So he said he had gone over to the Excelsior Casino for a free poker tournament. Afterwards, he sat to play blackjack. He hadn't even paid any attention to Natalie. When he got to Carlos and Charlie's, it was Natalie that pursued him. In this version of events, Joran said that Natalie was drinking, but she was not drunk. This is totally different than what he said the first time around. Right. According to that story, she was very drunk, stumbling, etc. Yep, giving mm-hmm. people belly shots off of her. Yes, and that may have happened, but she wasn't. She was not wasted by any means in this version. So he said that they left the bar. It was um, Yorin, Natalie, and Satish. It was one a.m. Deepak was already in the car waiting. The plan was for Deepak to drop Natalie and Yorin off at Yorin's house. He said that Natalie told him that she was from Alabama and she had planned to go to school to become a doctor. 
As they walked hand in hand towards the car, it was his assumption that they were going to have sex that night. He said that they had no conversation that was any sexual and it was not sexual in nature. It was just assumed. So he indicated that he they had their hands on each other's legs during the car ride. They began to kiss. When they arrived at Joran's house, Natalie changed her mind and said that she wanted to go to the beach to see the sharks. Joran said he laughed, told her that there were no sharks to see. They left his house. They never even got out of the car to go inside. As they drove, music played, and Deepak and Satish sat in the front seat. Natalie and Yoren were in the back, and Yoren said that she came up with a strange story that her mom was Hitler's sister or Hitler's sister's daughter, and that she was sorry for him. And he's thinking, okay, she must think I'm from Germany. I'm not. So he said, no, I'm Dutch. And he she's he said that he she asked if or he asked her if she was joking she said she wasn't she was serious and he's just saying what happened well i mean it's uh that was my initial thought that he might be german and um does this family have a lot of money i would imagine they're pretty well off um i don't think that they were very wealthy okay and then uh anything from deepak and satish here i mean they're very much involved in all right and you know we will Go, you know, get in a little bit more to that. Not a whole heck of a lot, but so Yoren said that Natalie made a remark asking Yoren if Deepak and Satish were his slaves since they were driving him around saying that in Alabama, we consider black people slaves, which obviously that would be a really crappy thing to say. Um, he yeah, said, but there's a lot of people that say that. Yeah, I mean, in, in I a guess lot of places, so. So, I mean, who knows what the real thing is? But so far, do we Yorin, believe Yoren has been a lying sack of shit up yeah, to this exactly. point? So take it for what you will. Sure. There you go. He said that they drove past her hotel because she wanted to go to the beach, which was a five minute drive from his house. They stopped at the beach by the Marriott. He said that he told Deepak he would call him later to pick him up. And he got out of the car with Natalie. They walked to the beach. He said they walked past other couples since the beach tends to be busy even at night. He assumed that Deepak and Satish were going home. And again, he intended that they didn't go to his house, but that they would have sex at the beach. So he said he took his shoes off by the water and they started walking. And keep in mind that Natalie's a virgin as far as her, yeah, mom, as far as her mom. As far as her mom knows. Because mm-hmm. really, she never truly had a boyfriend. She was very focused on her studies. So he said they walked past other couples. Again, that's busy. Um, he took, again, at this point, he has his shoes off. So they're walking in the opposite direction of her hotel. They're moving in the direction of the lighthouse. As they walked, they held hands. They would, you know, occasionally stop. They would talk and kiss. They were having a good time. He said that she seemed like she had something to drink, but she was fine. She knew what she was doing. She did not seem intoxicated. Well, because he probably got told by his lawyer, uh, if you said you had sex with her while she was wasted, mm-hmm. you're a rapist. So you better change your story. Right. And this was something because at one point he said they were touching and he was fondling her and she was in and out of consciousness. Yeah, that's where you're a rapist. Yes, exactly. Because there's no consent there. Yep. So Yorin said that they did not have sex because he realized he did not have a condom with him and it was very important to him that he use protection during sex. He said they talked about it and she understood and agreed. According to Yorin, they did have some sort of sexual contact that night. Again, we know what he said they did in the car. Yep. Again, we don't know if that's true because this guy is a friggin' liar. This is all his words. Yes. So everything I'm saying is just his words because obviously we don't have Natalie's. 
So afterwards, he told Natalie that he had to go home. He said he was getting up early for school. I believe it was like 6.30 a.m. that the school bus was going to come. So she asked him to stay with her to look at the stars and hang out since she was leaving the next morning. He told her no. He called Deepak to pick him up, but it was Satish who arrived 15 minutes later in Deepak's car, saying that Deepak was at home. He was on his computer. He said they left Natalie on the beach, not even taking the time to truly say goodbye to her. He said he realized that this was wrong, that he left her unattended, but he just wanted to get home because he knew he had to get up early. He said he was in such a rush to get home that he didn't even go back to pick up his shoes. He's barefoot at this time. He left his shoes at the beach. And why would he lie about this two other times? I don't know. And I will tell you from my understanding, they were like a new pair of shoes. So I would imagine they were probably costly. Yeah. So you, why would you just leave shoes? Right. And you're, you're so worried about getting up early, but you're not worried about your shoes. It, it kind of doesn't, doesn't make, make sense, sense no. that right down the, the street or wherever, how far you walked, there are your shoes sat. Why wouldn't you go back and get them? Seems like you're trying to run away from something that mm-hmm. just happened. I would agree. So he's saying that he got home basically a little bit before 3.30 a.m. He said his first story involved Deepak driving him home because they agreed to keep Satish out of involvement as much as they possibly could. He logged onto his computer. He messaged Deepak, letting him know he was home. He said he had no idea that something had happened to Natalie until the following night when he was gambling at the Radisson Hotel. Again, I say he's very frequent. He's frequenting these hotels where Americans, tourists, oftentimes high school groups are are at. I mean, not a terrible idea if mm-hmm. you just want to try to score some chicks. Sure. Um, you know, you know, there's going to be no strings attached. They're going home. Yeah. And they're out to have a good time and, you know, whatever. Let everybody have a good time. He said they were wrapping up to leave to go to a different casino when his dad called and told them that there were people at their house looking for him in regards to their missing daughter. He just happened to be hanging out with Deepak again that night. And as they drove back to Yoren's house, they decided to tell this story about dropping her off at the Holiday Inn. Deepak called Satish to tell him what was going on. Hey, this is the plan. This is our story. Let's all get on board here. Yorin said that he wasn't thinking clearly and he was afraid that something bad had happened to Natalie. He did not want to be involved. When they took Natalie's family to the Holiday Inn, they walked them through what happened that night. They showed, oh, yeah, she stumbled here. The security guards were there. Um, again, in, implicating these two security guards as being the last people that they saw Natalie with. He said he felt bad because they end up getting in trouble, these two security guards. Sure. So he said he felt bad about that, but he was only thinking about himself. Deepak and Yorin continued to hang out in the following days, agreeing to stick to their story. They were worried that if they told authorities at that point that they had lied, they would be in trouble. Satish was joining conversations at times, but all in all, it seems like it was mostly Deepak and Yorin having these conversations. According to Yorin, as they went with the story, it was their belief that Natalie ended up meeting someone else that night at the beach, went with them, perhaps ran away, and believed that there was nothing bad that had happened to her. That she's still on the island somewhere. She's just run away with somebody. Yorin was asked if he ever questioned if Deepak went back to the beach because, you know, Yorin's leaving the beach with Satish. They know that Natalie's out there because she was when they left and, you know, questioning, hey, do you think Deepak went back and did something to her? He said, you know, it maybe crossed his mind. He never asked his friend that. He said he's gone out at least 20 times with American tourists. Nothing bad has ever happened in the past. They continued to search the island for the next two weeks, 
all leads they followed, any sightings of a blonde girl, none of them proved to be helpful. Missing person posters were hung throughout the island. Jug went to the island's Dutch military base to request the assistance of the Dutch Marines who joined the search. They used helicopters, four-wheel drive vehicles. The justice minister gave all of Reuben government employees the day off to help search for Natalie. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, but no signs of her. And the FBI is involved too, right? Yeah, they were getting involved too. Okay. So as police continue to speak with Yoren and the Kalpo brothers, at this point, you know, Kalpo brothers? Deepak and Satish. Okay. So they're still at that point at this time that the search is happening. They're still maintaining, nope, we dropped off at the Holiday Inn. That's what's happened. Again, they mentioned that they saw these two security guards, guards, despite review of hotel security footage showing that Natalie didn't come into the hotel. Police did detain these two security guards. Um, from what I read, they were two former hotel security guards who worked at a hotel that was closed for renovation that was near the Holiday Inn. I don't know if they were put at the Holiday Inn that night. I'm not sure. It was. I'm sure Yoren knows who these guys knew who he was going to mm-hmm. you know, point at because he frequents all these places. Right. So this was we're going back to when he was lying about the dropping her off. Yes, at the Holiday we're Inn. going back to like the initial searches. Yeah. So they actually arrest these two guys. If um, my understanding is they were in custody for about ten days Mm. so two guys that were completely innocent had to go to jail for 10 days that's crazy so um beth felt that they were arresting the wrong men never ever believing that these two guys had anything to do with their daughter her daughter's disappearance she was fully committed in the fact that it was yorin and these two guys that that knew what happened so and and i would agree with that so the security guards ended up being released when Beth gave TV interviews and she did a lot of them, a lot. She expressed... Well, yeah, because the more you're on TV, the more people will talk about this. Right. The better chance you have of finding her. And of course, she's hoping that she's still alive somewhere. Of course. But I don't think that's the case. So this was a major, major story. I mean, every media outlet was down in Aruba. Again, it's the whole thing of the white girl missing. Yeah, you got everything going for mm-hmm. you that she's attractive and that she's white and yeah i say i mean going for you because that's what people get the most attracted to you know yeah it's something statistically it's not her fault no so so but again you know her mom was very frequently speaking and giving tv interviews so she felt in an interview that she expressed that and then when i say she beth felt that police were protecting the vandersloots because they were prominent they were a prominent family so Yoren's dad is Paulus, and apparently he was a minor official in the Aruban Justice System or Justice Department. He was not yet a judge. Yoren was a high school soccer star who planned to attend, oddly enough, this is in our area, St. Leo University. We oh actually gosh. just passed this university the other day. Yeah, that's 20 minutes so, from house. Yeah, he was going to go to this university in the fall. And so she's suspecting that there's a potential cover-up happening, that they're protecting this family. 100%. This guy's involved in politics. He knows the right people to get the people off the trail of his son. Yeah. So meanwhile, Dave Holloway was also speaking with police. And despite being the last three people seen with Natalie, the three boys' statements were taken. And, you know, they're deeming that they're clear. They they didn't have anything to do with it. There's no evidence. That's it, why I'm asking about the FBI from the U.S. Because we need some other people involved that can get down to the right stuff. Right. Aruba, yeah, I'm not sure what they have going there. They don't have as many resources as us. And then obviously the Dutch uh, army or whatever it is is going to be on that guy's side. Not, sure. not that the whole army is, but the people that are in charge. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're getting their strings pulled by the dad. 
Yeah. So I don't know exactly the extent of the FBI's involvement in this case. It was I, I have tons of resources. I didn't exactly read what their involvement was. I'm feeling like that's the only way we're going to get to the truth. Yeah. But we'll see. So, you know, the they're, the Reuben police are basically saying a lot of girls come to this island. They miss their flights. They show up days later. They said after they clear of their drugs they've been taking, they finish their partying. That's when they come home. And Dave is continuing to say, that is not my daughter. She would not do that. And a lot of these small, you know, police island areas, they can be bought off and do, you know, for a lot of things because, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, the money goes a long way. Yeah. So as the days and weeks are passing, Dave Holloway had this gut feeling that his daughter was no longer alive he no. he truly believed that but he remained determined to find her body and bring it home right so because america is where the majority of ruba's tourism stems from the aruban government was under great pressure to make an arrest because all these american journalists are there it's all being broadcast in america that's obviously going to affect their tourism because about i'd say 80 percent of people that are there are from america yeah honey let's not go to aruba let's go to literally any other place mm-hmm. in the mediterranean or any high school hey, Mediterranean, the caribbean yeah caribbean so um high school trips they're going to be like oh no that happened to natalie holloway we'll book blah 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 let's go islands. to the bahamas let's go to cancun you exactly know, whatever. yeah so they're scared, you know, this is this is their livelihood there. 100%. So on June 9th, 2005, Yorin and the Kalpo brothers were arrested despite officials believing that this was a premature move. They were unable to get a confession. At this point, Yorin has changed his story. Wait, and, June 9th, 2005 or 2006? Yes, 2005. Okay, so even though that uh, Yorin was on TV yes, in 2006? Yes, because you'll, you'll hear okay. he ends up being released. Just want to make sure. Yeah, so this is June 9th, 2005. Again, they are kind of making this arrest more because they were under pressure rather than it would have been something they would have done had this not been so sensationalized and popular in the U.S. So they did arrest them. Yorin didn't give any kind of confession, neither did the Kalpo brothers, but this is where the story changed. And Yorin is saying that Deepak and Satish dropped him and Natalie off at the beach. They went to the Marriott. So this is the same story he said in 2006 when he spoke on to the show on the record. So he said that Natalie, this is the point where he's still maintaining that Natalie was intoxicated. He's saying that she was so intoxicated that she was in and out of consciousness when he left her at the beach and walked home. And the Kalpos are now backing up this new story. So after three weeks in custody, the Kalpo brothers were released on July 4th, 2005, and the judge found insufficient evidence to justify their further detention. Yorin was ordered to be held without charges for another 60 days. The Twitties were outraged and devastated. They hired a private investigator from Atlanta named TJ Ward. Good. Various tips are followed throughout this whole process. And this is basically, we need some more money from the U.S. We mm-hmm. need some kind of resources to overtake whatever kind of bullshit's going on in Aruba. Nothing right. against Aruba. I'm just saying we have more resources. So let's figure it out. Sure. So, you know, they're following any lead they're getting. They're conducting tons and tons of digs people provide a lot of bullshit stories they waste a lot of time and resources that and these things aren't end up being true so they're making these digs but nothing is 
you know, it's not coming from anything. Nothing's resulting. So um, they had used infrared photography to help identify a grave or a body. There were no findings of Natalie. The Twitty stayed in Aruba throughout the summer. They stayed at the Wyndham. The owner gave them use of the presidential suite. They passed out prayer cards and photos of Natalie during the day. They sat for interviews at night. During one day of passing cards, Beth was near Joran's house, and his parents, Anita and Paulus Vandersloot, ended up inviting her inside for a 90-minute visit. There were no cameras or anything like that. They eventually admitted that they were having issues with her son. They said that he had been seeing a psychiatrist. They said that his attitude was defiant. He continued to sneak out to go gambling. They had no control over him. Paulus maintained that he remembered almost nothing from the night that Natalie went missing. Hmm. Do you have amnesia? Interesting. They noticed that while he was talking and saying this, he was sweating profusely. Paulus is... Paulus, the dad. Okay. Basically like a spigot had turned on. Wow. And Beth fully believed that he knew, looking at him, he knew what happened to her daughter. He he likely had some involvement in a cover-up, wow. a hide. But no confession was sure. made. It's Nothing... Their word against yours. Exactly. Yeah. On August 20th, Beth met, Beth met with the Aruban Prime Minister, and on August 26th, the Kalpos were rearrested. There was no explanation given as to why. The police had gotten a statement from Yorin that Natalie had passed out multiple times while he sexually fondled her, like I had said. Under Dutch law, this could be viewed as sex without consent. Anyone who enabled the crime could be judged, judged as an accessory. They felt that S- Satish Kalpo was the weakest link. He was the one that would be at risk for cracking and confessing, but they did not get anything from him. However, on August 31st, Yorin was released. The brothers were, were released the next day. There was no body. There was no evidence of murder. There was evidence of no crime. She right. was just missing. Right. They couldn't say that these guys, there wasn't blood in their car. There wasn't anything. Yeah, all you know is that they saw her last. Mm-hmm. Yorin had been in jail for nearly three months he never cracked he never confessed meanwhile the massive amount of media presence that supported the case suddenly came to a screeching halt because hurricane katrina hit the u.s Uh, on august 29th 2005 that's crazy and that makes so much sense because i remember like it being the front of the news and then nothing yeah so it it was a 180 turn they were there they were gone so, um, Joran left with his father at this point to attend college in the Netherlands. The whole St. Leo University near Tampa, that was gone. Yeah, get the United States out of your, out of your mm-hmm. mind because then this is going to come back up. Yep. So, the Twitties went back to Alabama until Beth returned to Aruba at around Halloween time. There was a new search using sonar to look for her body off the northern beaches. The search ended up citing lack of cooperation from the Aruban authorities. At this point, they got Dr. Phil involved. (laughs) Dr. Phil. Well, I mean, hey, whatever Mm -hmm. way you can get more eyes on this story. I agree. And coverage and whatever. And, you know, just awareness, I guess you could say. Yeah. So Dr. Phil sent a team of investigators to Aruba and in a taped interview of a California lie detector specialist seemed to get Deepak Kalpo to admit to having had sex with Natalie, but really nothing ended up coming from that. 
They The tape was examined, though many are skeptical. Really nothing came of it. Dr. Phil did suggest that Americans boycott Aruba until the Arubans become more helpful in the search for Natalie. You know, the, you can joke about Dr. Phil all you want, but he's thinking the same way that I am. Like, it, you know, he's got a lot of money. He's got mm-hmm. a lot of money from the show. Like, this is crackable. This is solvable if you can get one of these guys to say something or admit to something. And like you said, Deepak or Satish are probably the way to go at it here. They're like, this piece of shit Yorin is going to go to jail and all you're going to be totally safe. We're going to make right. sure that you're safe. I don't think they have the same laws that we do, that you can try to get cooperation and coercements. Mm. So I think that might be the difference there. Okay. So, you know, it's a different law. Yeah, but you can lie to them still. Yeah. So Aruban detectives repeatedly interviewed witnesses and established to establish a reliable timeline. It's unclear of exactly when Yorin got home. We know he said around 3.30 and how we got there. You know, was it Deepak? Was it Satish? He said it was Satish. Who knows? He said he walked while um, authorities feel it's unlikely. So the stories have changed so many times. The shoes Yorin wore that night, they were never located. The, you know, police obviously find this suspicious. Were they disposed of because they had blood on them? Who knows? Right. You can't say. And again, all you have is just the story. Yeah. Now they don't have them. So if they're found somewhere, then you can go on something. Try to find some blood. But they never found them. There was also a break in at a fisherman's hut north of the Marriott on the night that Natalie went missing. It's reported that a machete and perhaps a lobster trap were taken. Investigators wondered if the lobster trap could have been used to dispose of Natalie's body to weigh her down so that she didn't end up washing ashore. Hmm. So police don't have a single witness that claims to have seen Yorin in the early morning hours. Because it was. It was Sunday night. You know, it's not a very hopping time. Right. Everybody's getting ready for work Mm -hmm. and school. So the FBI profiled Yorin as someone who has never been corrected by his parents. His parents did admit to Beth that they have no control over this guy. So it's, he's, it's, he runs that show in his family. Is he an only child? Uh, Yes. He's the boss of, I believe he is. They didn't really give a good background of what, so yeah. maybe he's not. Well, I, they I don't talk about the siblings at they any don't, point. They so. don't, no. Yeah. He's the boss of what happens in the household, the boss of the family, someone who is allowed to do anything he wants. It's their belief that he could have done something if Natalie re- refused to have sex with him. Natalie's body has never been located, nor has any physical evidence, none. So his own family thinks it's possible. Um, His own family has never said a word. Oh. This is the FBI profile. Got it, got it, okay. Yeah, so all... All we have are theories. It's possible that the mystery might never be solved. Did Natalie die on the beach near the Marriott after she refused to have sex with Yorin? Did he strangle or drown her? Did she die from alcohol poisoning or another drug? But from the things that I read, I've seen her her last picture ever taken. She looked very much in control in the picture. Mm. So in a, his final story, she was not drunk. Was she at uh, Carlos and Charlie's in that picture? Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she was there. Um, And she looked very much in control. She didn't look sloppy or anything. And again, his story did change that she was within control. Who knows? Some speculate that Yorin and Natalie could have gone offshore to a sandbar where currents shift west and drift away from the island. I guess a lot of people go out there to fool around. They go towards Panama. So if her body was left there, it would likely be gone forever. It's also said that 90% of people who do drown on that part of the island where they were, their bodies eventually float up to the banks of Venezuela. But who knows if this lobster trap was used. They brought in Louis Schaefer, who is a cell 
self-made multimillionaire who has made his fortune in underwater exploration. He offered to help find Natalie free of charge. He planned to map the ocean floor off of Aruba using high-end equipment to basically just scan the entire bottom looking for Natalie's remains. On Christmas Eve, pictures showed what looked like a trap, almost exactly where they theorized it could have been had he disposed of her body in a trap. So then on December 29th, they brought out a boat. They used a remote-operated vehicle. They dropped it in the water to get a closer view of what they were guessing could have been a lobster trap with a skull. So they saw an image of what really did look like a skull. So now that they've got this location and suspicions that this could be something, the next day, which would have been the 30th of December, divers from Aruban police actually went down to where the trap was visualized nothing of you know any worth was found within that spot was there a trap i i they said yes i believe but it was they kind of brushed it off it was nothing of use okay at one point dave holloway got a message from a man who called himself marcos he claimed that drug runners were paid to take natalie's body and dump it at sea on the night that she disappeared they agreed and took her remains to nicaragua they hid her remains on a remote strip of the atlantic coast Dave found this idea very far-fetched. The man said he wanted no reward. He said that he had done a lot of wrongs in his life and he wanted to do something right this time. They set up a meeting with a man named Tim Miller who was helping with the search. He headed to Nicaragua and Marcos showed up for the meeting. The plan was that Marcos was going to take this GPS receiver to this location where he said that her remains could be found. He was going to leave it there and the local officials would follow this location and begin their dig. So the plans changed. Marcos said that he had the body. He would actually bring it to them. And he said that her body was wrapped in a blanket. It had fallen apart. He said they placed her in two ice chests. Tim Muller believed what he was being told, but he did not contact Dave Holloway with this information, wanting to see where does this lead. I'm not yeah. going to get her dad thinking no that this is something. Yeah. yeah. So at this point, Marcos absolutely fell off the grid and it ended up being a cruel hoax so crap like this happens yeah which is mind-boggling to me how can a person be so sick and twisted you would wake up one day and be like you know what i'm gonna make the family believe we know something yeah like you're sick right so um, another time there was a hidden camera sting in the Netherlands. They, it was arranged by a Dutch reporter named Peter van de, Vrie, de Vries, who caught Joran van der Sloot on tape with a man named Patrick. Patrick had gained Joran's trust. Van der Sloot said he was with Natalie on the beach when she began shaking, basically in, in saying that she had a seizure. So they're on the beach. Natalie starts having a seizure. She collapses. Joran says he contacted a friend with a boat to dispose of her body. It was later confirmed that this friend he said he contacted who had the boat wasn't even in Aruba. He was living in Holland. Total bullcrap. This made uh, Dave and Beth feel, though, that there was some truth to what he was saying, that Joran was with Natalie that night, he had something to do with her disappearance, and that her body was dumped at sea because obviously when there's truth involved you're going to use bits and pieces of that in your stories so in march of 2010 yoren emailed the twitty's lawyer so this is close to five years after natalie went missing so she he emails the twitty's lawyer john q kelly and offered to reveal where natalie's body is so now this is yoren actually taking these steps this is really yoren this is yoren this is truly yoren okay so he said that if you give me $25,000 up front and then another 
$225,000. So $250,000. I will tell you where Natalie's body can be found. Okay. Sounds great. And yep. I would say, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. I'd absolutely 100%. And I would make sure we'd have somebody there to pick him up and um, make sure to take all his money after we give it to him. So he gave Kelly his bank account number for transfer of funds. Kelly did not think he would learn the truth from the meeting, but he decided that he could not lose because if the information was true, Beth would get closure. If it was false, this would be extortion. 100%. You so got win, win. One way or the other. So Kelly went to Aruba on Easter Sunday. This is 2010. And to me, this is 100% worth $25,000. Mm-hmm. Like what's 25 grand, you so, know, in the grand scheme of life? Exactly. So he met with Yorin. Beth didn't even know about this meeting because they're trying to keep the family out of touch with these things because so many times it ends up being garbage. He wants to see what's going to happen here. So he goes, he met Yorin without money. He spoke to him in a hotel room for two hours. And Yorin's telling Kelly that Natalie's body was nearby. When Yorin discovered that Kelly hadn't brought money, he got extremely angry and agitated. Kelly went back to the States. He contacts the FBI to set up a sting. After the meeting, Kelly told Beth what was happening. She was doubtful that Yorin was telling the truth, but she wanted to test this bank account that he had given her the account to, to see if it was real. She sent Yorin $100 and told him that Kelly would bring $25,000 with him to a meeting that they had set up for May 10th, 2010 in Aruba. So they signed a contract. Yorin told Kelly that while he and Natalie were at the beach, he wanted to go home. She wanted to stay out. At one point, he picked her up, and when she started to scream, he threw her down onto the ground, accidentally striking her head on a rock that just so happened to be there in the sand. He t- took Kelly to a house and said that his father had helped him dispose of Natalie's body in this home. He's pointing to this home, to this home's foundation. By this time, Yorin's dad had passed away. He had dropped dead while playing tennis on February 10th, 2010 at age 57. So that could have what been like brought this on. Maybe. Yeah. So his dad was gone now for a few months at this point. So they discovered that this house wasn't even built when Natalie went missing. This is complete and absolute bullshit. And the information was false. So Yorin later sent Kelly an email from Peru a week later confirming that he had lied. However, they had transferred the $25,000 to Yorin. So some people are like, man, Beth, you just gave him a free trip to Peru. So she's, you know, she's like, well, you know, we can get him on this. So sure. After Yorin took the $25,000 in exchange for information that proved to be false, he could have been arrested for wire fraud and extortion, but authorities are saying that more work needed to be done to build the case. They did not have enough evidence, which I don't see why you have evidence he lied he even confirmed in an email that he lied yeah it's in writing yeah so i'm not quite sure why they felt well the lying isn't the problem the 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 problem is that he said i will show you this and that i killed her like they have to have that in writing yeah true the the lying you can lie all day so i guess they wanted more solidified evidence so yorin was allowed to be free oh man well i guess i would confirm with somebody first that you can get on this before sending him the 25 yeah i know but hindsight's 2020 at this point he's in lima peru oh this is so unbelievable and awful On May 30th, 2010, five years to the day that he was with Natalie Holloway in that casino and later that night she had disappeared, Yorin met a 21-year-old woman named Stephanie Flores Ramirez at a hotel casino in Lima, Peru. 
This um, Stephanie is the daughter of a prominent father who was a former race car driver turned politician. On June 2nd, 2010, Stephanie was found murdered in a hotel room that was registered under Yoren's name, and surveillance video clearly saw the pair enter the room together, and only Yoren was seen leaving. Oh, my God. Oh, it's sickening. I seriously get chills thinking that this poor girl was killed. And when Stephanie's body was discovered, there was so much blood that investigators assumed, they even printed it to the internet, that she had been stabbed to death. That's how bad it was. Wow. So Yoren fled to Chil- Chile. I always want to say Chile, but is it Chile? I mean, I call it Chile, but it's okay. Chile probably. So a toll booth operator recognized his face because at this point in time, there, there's a manhunt. They know that he was involved. It was his hotel room. They saw him leaving. They saw him entering the room with her. It's basically him wanting to be caught. Yeah. So he was found. Uh, so a tip was called in. He was arrested and sent back to Peru to face charges for Flores' murder. In his confession, he said that he had picked her up earlier that night at a poker table, which video surveillance clearly sees this whole interaction crystal clear. Well, they have him 100%. Mm-hmm. So he claims he had consumed 10 alcoholic drinks that night. They went back to his hotel room and Yoren said they were playing online poker when a message popped up on his computer that eluded his involvement in Natalie's disappearance. He claimed that Flores freaked out and lashed out at him, striking him on the head with her fist. He said on an impulse, he hit her on the top of her nose with his right elbow and then strangled her for a minute. He took his shirt off. He put it on her face, pressing it hard until she died. After the murder, he left his hotel room. He brought he bought two cups of coffee and some cake. He came back to the room and he literally just ate his breakfast over her dead body. That's sick. But there was also this um, idea that he was trying to do a, a cover-up. Like he was leaving the hotel room. He comes back with this coffee and pretends to be locked out of the room. This is clearly on surveillance video. Where his room was, there was like a camera right there. So you could see he's like pretending he doesn't have his key. Yeah. So he gets this guy to come up, hoping the guy's going to open the door and go into the room, and he's going to be like, oh my goodness, somebody must have come in here while I was getting these coffees. Mm -hmm. The guy didn't. The guy unlocked the door and just pushed it. (laughs) didn't go in good luck man so yarn's like well i guess that plan didn't work so he goes in at that point and shortly thereafter he leaves the room with his backpack and everything so it didn't work so that is where he left the hotel and he had his laptop cash he's fleeting to chile where he was arrested several days later before confessing he did try to lie he initially claimed that an armed man broke into the hotel room Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm So on June 27th, 2010, Yoren was also indicted in the U.S. for wire fraud and extortion. Oh, you finally got enough, even though that had nothing to do with Natalie. That had nothing to do with Natalie's family at all. No. So why couldn't you have gotten them on this before? God, and I had so much faith in the FBI, and they fucked it. A girl literally got killed by his hands. But now you have enough evidence. And now all of a sudden you have the evidence to extradite him. Whoever was in charge of that at that point should be fired. I know. It's so sad. So he will eventually be extradited to the U.S. But on January 11th, 2012, Yoren pleaded guilty to Stephanie's murder. Well, you can't get... Oh, 
Uh, well, you can't get him on Natalie's murder. So I mean, no, this has nothing to do with Natalie's murder. He was never charged with anything. Right, but the extradition to the U.S. won't do anything. He no. got him on Stephanie's murder. Yes. So this is all on Stephanie's murder. So um, on January thirteenth, two thousand twelve, he was sentenced to twenty eight years in prison, which is two years shy of the thirty year maximum that is in Peru. He was ordered to pay seventy four thousand five hundred dollars to Flores's family. Where's this guy getting seventy four? thousand five hundred i don't know do you have that in your bank account mike yes not yours okay well you should put it in mine no i don't have that money he doesn't have that money i'm kidding by the way i don't have seventy four thousand in my bank mike doesn't so you know it's it's just bullshit there but he admitted to robbery in addition to murder stealing more than three hundred dollars of stephanie's money as well as credit cards they said they he stole her van i don't believe that that was accurate because he actually fled to chile with two guys that were like drivers who thought, you know, they were just helping him out to get him there. They had no idea that they were transporting a criminal. So on um, January 12, 2012, an Alabama court declared Natalie dead, which was six and a half years after she disappeared. They did this because it allowed her family to obtain her death certificate and just move forward in any financial things that needed to be tied up because until that happens, they're still presumed alive. Sure. So then Yoren was sentenced to another 18 years in prison in Peru for drug smuggling. He'll be in prison until 2045 because prison terms in Peru cannot exceed, now it's saying, 35 years. So in 2045, he will be released from the prison in Peru. On July 4th, 2014, Yoren married his pregnant girlfriend, Lady Figueroa. So apparently she was at the jail visiting some family member and met Yorin. And apparently they're allowed to like go into each other's cell. Like she could go into a cell or something is what I read. Well, so it had, uh, the pregnancy had they, happened somehow. He was able to get her pregnant. It wasn't magic. Mm-mm. So the two exchanged vows inside the maximum security prison. His daughter was born on September 28th, 2014. I would be proud of my daughter if she got pregnant, impregnated by a prisoner. That we know killed, killed a woman. Yeah. An an innocent woman. Good job, lady. An article from May 17th, 2023, so this is just, you know, 10 days ago, indicates that Yorin asked his wife for a divorce about a year ago so that he could pursue another relationship. He's really racking up the chicks in prison. Well, that was nice of him. At least he asked for the divorce before he pursued. Yeah, and apparently he was transferred to another prison that is just hell on earth he needs so. both both of his achilles tendons cut mm-hmm. immediately and uh he needs um some bad things to happen to him at prison i know in summer of 2017 oxygen network aired a six-part series called the disappearance of natalie holloway it followed dave holloway around as he tried to solve the mystery of what happened to his daughter the show resulted in a 35 million dollar lawsuit by beth against oxygen and the producers Ooh, of the show nice. after she had been asked for her dna samples she She happily gave it. You know, she's thinking she's going to help the case. She was told they had found human remains that could potentially belong to Natalie, having no idea that this even had anything to do with the Oxygen series. So she's sending off her DNA, she's doing her uh, swab in her cheek, and then um, she sued them in fraud. Findings ended up being from a pig's skull. Oh, my God. So I I don't know what's... 
They're just trying to make some money. That's so pretty I don't sad. even know what they're doing. I don't know. Okay. When Yoren's prison sentence is up in Peru, he will not be released. He will be transferred to the United States custody and extradited to face charges for wire fraud and extortion. This has nothing to do with Natalie's murder. This has to do with the fact that he extorted this $25,000. So he has never faced charges for Natalie's disappearance. Uh, Natalie's parents still hold out hope that they will find their daughter, that they feel confident that even if they don't, they know they've done everything they can to find her. They really have. Beth knows that Natalie is with God, that he cared for her through whatever ordeal she dealt with the night that she disappeared. So they don't they don't have their daughter. They, they've never found her. They've never found evidence. Nothing. Well, being that he was a local to Aruba, you, he'd have to know like how the sea goes and mm-hmm. like where, yeah, especially being involved in the drug smuggling. I, I don't even know where that came from. Any idea what kind of drugs he was uh, smuggling? Big time drugs. I think it was cocaine okay. and it was a lot. So he probably knew about that whole Nicaragua, whatever the, the where it, earlier. Where the the, um, the jet stream or the jet stream uh, goes not jet, well not jet stream it's where the um why am i drawing a blank on the word the, the um pull of the ocean or whatever yeah. the currents current where the currents would take her body but again this um hut that was right nearby where they were at the marriott beach yeah lobster trap had the, the lobster chat and the trap and the machete taken did he put her body in a lobster trap? Yeah. You know, you think that dude that was a billionaire would have found it. They did map it, but again, and maybe that was the trap. I don't know. You you didn't say if that was a trap or not, but I believe it was a trap. It was very vague. The, the one article that talked about, they were going down with these divers. They were going to get a thumbs up or thumbs down. If they, what it was, was just, it was nothing. Also, these were Ruben police. Like they could have been paid off and been like, okay, yeah, no, it's nothing. I believe they probably brought it up with them. Yeah, I would hope so. But man, and that's too bad for Natalie's parents and Natalie, of course. Tragic. Know. Absolutely tragic. No, You're... anything with Deepak and his brother? Nope. Satish, they're out and free. That's like insane that they covered everything. I mean, I, you got to think they covered something up. You got to think they know. Uh, maybe they didn't know, right? Maybe um. So again, I believe the story that they dropped him off at the beach with Natalie. I sure. believe that that happened. But they probably, I mean, I'm sure he told them that he killed her. I would think so. And based on the scene of the crime with Stephanie, where he basically took his elbow to her nose, there was so much blood, like I said. They thought it was a stabbing victim. I, I think if... That story he told was true where he took Natalie and threw her down on the beach and her head hit a rock. There had to have been blood. And there had to have been some truth to it, whether it was 100% truth or not. You know, do you do you really Parts believe that's it. how she... No, not necessarily, no. Right. No, but I believe she died on the beach. I believe his shoes had to have had evidence on them. 100%. Hence the fact that they were never recovered. 100%. Um, could he have taken them off to walk and then they got washed out to sea? Possibly, but I think... That, you know, but again, there's no evidence. There's no blood that was found on the beach. Yeah. So did he do it close to the water and things were just washed away? And then he killed Stephanie Flores on the same day. That's too too uncanny, correct? Right. He had five years to the day at a casino. It was so eerie to see the surveillance video because you saw the surveillance video of him sitting there, Natalie, at the casino. Five years to the day. So is that like some sort of sick thing? Yeah, 100%. Something sexual and weird. Yeah. Just like all these assholes. It's, It's just sick. I mean, this guy is a monster. Oh, please, God, have him be killed in prison, please. Well, apparently he did get stabbed at some point in prison because his wife had evidence. She took his shirt that he was wearing 
And, you know... Well, if you're a guard, you're like, oh, yeah, no, that's not evidence. He's, right. He slept. He's fine. And now he's in a really bad prison. Like, Good. Like, terrible. Well, please send letters to other prisoners and be like, hey, by the way, the guy that you're, like, next to, you know, he killed somebody and he didn't get anything for it. Mm-hmm. So please do something. So I don't know what kind of charges he'll face come 2045 when he is extradited back to the U.S., but I don't know what kind of well, you prison gotta, time you get for that. I would feel that a judge would be extra hard on him, you know, given the maximum because of, you know, kind of like it, knowing that he did kill Natalie. And, and, and what him. he did to Stephanie. Right. Yeah. It's just in Peru, you can't be in prison for more than 30, 35 years. Right. Because this guy is clearly a danger to society. 100%. He took this girl back to his room and brutalized her. Yeah, that's so sick. It's I'm so sick. sorry for and Stephanie's so family. And I'm so sad for her family because they, of course, are looking at the surveillance video because her daughter, their daughter was missing for days before they, she was found. So now all of a sudden, they're looking at the surveillance video. They're seeing who he, uh, she's with. They type his name into Google and their hearts just drop because all of a sudden, a million websites are popping up associated with Natalie Holloway. And there's so many ways we could have stopped him. Like, Yoren's dad obviously knew that he did mm-hmm. something because how he was sweating buckets. His and- mom was not in the country in Aruba when um, Natalie went missing. Yeah. So it was just him and his dad that were home. I guarantee you his dad had some cover-up to do. He used the story that his dad helped dispose of Natalie into the foundation. Granted, we know it wasn't that house, but was it a similar story? Sure. I, I guarantee you his dad had something to do with the cover-up. Sick. Yeah. And you, you know that his dad's death had something to do with him getting money. Maybe he couldn't get any more money because his dad was dead, so he had to extort you know, money. Right. That's where he was getting Holloway desperate family. because his dad had only just died a couple months before he sent that email to Beth trying to get $250,000. For the Twitty family. The Twitty family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, Natalie so, and Stephanie's family. And hopefully this piece of crap, Yorin, um, you know, falls into something. Yeah. Falls on a knife accidentally. Horrible human being. Yep. So anyway, we appreciate each and every one of you being here. Absolutely. And if you have a little, um, you know, extra scratch and you want to help out a little mom and pop podcast over here, name the Crime and Coffee Couple. Am I the mom and you're the pop? Absolutely. Okay. And you can go ahead and become a patron. And not only that, not only could you help us, but you could get access to 25 plus episodes. Boom. uh, Depending on which level you choose. So go check it out. I believe Patreon's also offering like free five minute previews of um of episodes don't quote me to it but i think it just started out so um and i want to say thank you and welcome to madison dolores steph gila and Alyssa and gila jilla i'm sorry if i'm saying your name wrong um i will email you and try to find out how to say your name and get it right and we appreciate you guys so much and from the bottom of our hearts we love you all absolutely and until next time bye. bye